0: Psalm 22,
1: 1 through 11,
0: hear the word of the Lord. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by, by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you as I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me. For trouble is near. And there is none to help. This is the word of the Lord. God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Let's pray for his help as we look into these very familiar but yet profound verses. Father, do strengthen us. As we look at this familiar psalm this morning, an account that clearly refers to your son Jesus, Uh, Christ Jesus, we pray that you'd be glorified through the proclamation of your word today. I pray that your spirit would quicken us, our minds and our hearts, that we could understand the truth and put it into practice today. Jesus, help us with this awesome task. We ask in your name, amen. It was December 1944. Late in World War II, Hitler's Germany was losing the war. And so, to change the course of the war, they were hoping, uh, and in a desperate attempt to to turn things around, they launched a counterattack against uh, American and British forces uh, in Western Europe. This would turn out to be their final attack of the war against the Americans. Their uh, surprise attack uh, caught the United States Army completely off guard. This attack was so successful, in fact, that uh, after just a few days, the Germans had completely surrounded the 101st Airborne in the Belgian city of Bastogne. Now, I know this is a small map, and I'm not really... But this is, uh, this is the country of Belgium. Uh, this is the English Channel up here. This is the city of Bastogne, and this is the lines of the American army, the 101st Airborne in particular. Surrounding it are German forces. Um, one source reports about the Americans. On December 18th, the soldiers of the 101st Airborne were completely surrounded in the town of Bastogne. They had little ammunition, barely any food, and most soldiers didn't even have cold-weather gear. Reinforcements were inbound, but it would take a week for Patton to arrive. The Americans were in desperate shape. And around noon on December 22nd, a a group of four German soldiers were seen walking across a snow-covered field in front of an American position and waving a white flag. They were brought to the American lines. They had, it said, a a message for the commanding general, who at that time was Anthony McAuliffe. He's pictured here in the center of this uh, slide. Their ultimatum read this. The fortune of war is changing. This time the USA forces in and near Bastogne have been encircled by strong German army armored units. There is only one possibility to save the encircled USA troops from total annihilation. That is the honorable surrender of the encircled town. In order to think it over, a term of two hours will be granted beginning with the presentation of this note. If this proposal should be rejected, one German artillery corps and six heavy anti-aircraft battalions are ready to annihilate the USA troops near Bastogne. The order for firing will be given immediately after this two hours term. All the serious civilian losses caused by this artillery fire would not correspond with the well-known American humanity. And this ultimatum was signed the German commander. General McAuliffe, after some discussion, offered this now-famous reply to the ultimatum, Nuts. The Germans were, of course, confused by this and inquired if this was a positive or negative reply. They were informed that it was definitely negative. And so the Americans remained surrounded by the enemy with no avenue of escape. And the end of the story makes for fascinating reading, which I'll leave up to you. This is not far removed from how David finds himself in Psalm 22. Completely surrounded by enemies and cut off from escape. Look at verse 12 with me. It says, Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. Bashan, of course, is where everything grew bigger and larger, kind of like the state of Texas. So I'm told. Constantly. (laughs) And then verse 16. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. I wonder if you have ever felt surrounded by dogs. Have you felt like an enemy has encircled you and every route of escape has been cut off? You're trapped. There are, of course, a great many situations in life that can leave us feeling like we've been surrounded by dogs. Uh, perhaps it's, this is how you feel as you're here this morning, that you are cut off from escape. Uh, whatever's happening in your life has has you feeling like you're surrounded. And if this is the case, then you definitely need to hear the truth for, in Psalm 22. Or maybe you know someone of whom this is true. In that case, then you definitely need, hear, need to hear the truth of Psalm 22 so that you can share that with them and encourage them. Because Dave, both David who wrote these words and Jesus Christ who fulfilled them uh, they show us what to do when we're surrounded by dogs David and David's greater son Jesus show us what to do when our enemies or our circumstances or our health or something else has surrounded us and left us cut off seemingly from the Lord's help What should we do surrounded by dogs? What should believers do when they feel cut off with no one to help them? I believe we'll find our answer in both halves of Psalm 22. It's not an even half and half, uh, but there are two parts to this psalm that we want to examine this morning. In the first half, we hear the plea for rescue we hear David's desperate cry for help in verses 1 through 21. And in the second half or second part, we'll hear the praise for rescue as as David begins to praise the Lord right in the middle of verse 21, continuing through verse 31. So then let's examine the first half of this psalm, the, the plea for rescue. Here David feels abandoned by the Lord under attack from his enemies and in desperation cries out for rescues. There are three reasons why he makes this desperate plea to the Lord. The first reason is because he's feeling abandoned. Uh, he, he feels that the Lord has left him. He feels that he's ignoring his prayers. Notice verse 1, these, uh, should I say famous words, my God, my God. There is a; these are are packed with emotions. They nearly throb uh, with feeling. There is great uh, pathos uh, in David's tone of voice, and there are two reasons for this profound cry. Uh, and one reason is because he feels abandoned. Verse one goes on: "My, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have?" Why are you so far from saving me? Note the verb forsaken in verse 1, that very first line. This verb describes completed action. It seems the Lord has cut off David and it's over and done with. There's a a finality to it. Uh, And and then the second reason his tone is urgent is not only does he feel forsaken, uh, abandoned, it seems that his prayers have gone unanswered. And, and take this in the context of Psalm uh, uh, 20 and 21, where David's prayers and the prayers of the nation were glorious answered, and, and gloriously answered. And here, though, it's, it's nothing. And he says, why are you so far? There, the last phrase of 22, from the words of my groaning. Or, or better, perhaps, to translate it from the words of my roaring. Uh, this term reply, uh, refers to a, a great cry of distress, an agonizing cry. And, and these have been constant. Verse 2, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest day and night here. Uh, we referred to that uh, as a merism where two parts represent the whole. Um, when we say, I've looked high and low, it means we've looked everywhere. And so this, David is saying, I've, I've cried all day long, but I find no rest. Uh, and again, that might be better translated, and I'm not silent. I haven't stopped lifting up my voice before your throne. Uh, I, I haven't stopped praying. And, and this is his cry. And now, I want you to note, he moves from a cry to a a contrast. And he will do so in every three sections of this opening part of Psalm 22. He begins with a cry, but then he moves to a contrast. Look at the word, how verse 3 begins, Yet! David doesn't resign himself to these feelings of abandonment. And here with the simple word yet, he, he begins to, to stir up his faith in the Lord. One scholar put it like this, David stops floundering in his own grief and flees for high ground, the highest ground of all. He looks to the very character of God. Look at what he says, uh, yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. God had had promised never to leave or forsake His people at at many points in their history. And because the Lord is holy, it's absolutely impossible for Him to break those promises or to break His promise to David. Titus 1.2 says that God is a God who never lies. And Numbers 23 puts it like this, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he, he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Oh, friend, for God to break a promise, God would stop being God. And so David appeals to the character of God. And He's been enthroned on the praises of Israel. That refers to Israel's praise for constant answers to prayer. Uh, They have have many times enthroned him on their praises as he has answered uh, their prayers. Uh, For example, in in their deliverance from the Red Sea, uh, the Lord gloriously answered that prayer um, as Moses cried for deliverance and then Exodus 14 contains the crossing and Exodus 15 is is the song that celebrates the Lord's answer to prayer. Da- David had, had many examples like this to choose from. And that very, uh, in verse 4, in you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and, and were not put to shame. Notice the last word, and, and read that with a twinkle in your eye. Were not put to shame. That's understatement. This is an example of understatement. He, he's going to do this several times here. It's not just that they were not put to shame. Uh, Moses and the Israelites at the Red Sea, was it? Well, they, they, yeah, they got through. They, they, uh, you know, kind of did dead man's float, and they, they made it. They were, they were gloriously delivered. And so, when David understates something like this, he means the opposite happened. Oh, they were, they were gloriously delivered from Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's army they were drowned in the crushing waters of the Red Sea and and they triumphed over the Egyptians there they were not just merely not put to shame they were delivered and how this is the contrast that comes after each cry so feeling abandoned by the Lord David Stops floundering in his own grief and flees for high ground by turning to the Lord and his word. All the way back in 1917, uh, there was a movie director named Cecil B. DeMille, well known for producing his movies on a large scale. I I shared with you uh, one story about him before uh, at a different event in his life, but he had just finished his a film about Joan of Arc uh, called Joan the Woman. It was a a silent movie. Um, And upon completion, he took the film to New York City uh, for the censors uh, to watch it and approve of the content. It's hard to believe that there were censors that could limit the content of movies. Boy, bring those back, huh? Well, after the screening of Joan the Woman, A minister was among the censors. He found nothing offensive in the picture. But there was a woman on the censor board who disagreed. There was one thing that has to be deleted. It's the line where Jones says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? DeMille asked her if she knew who had first spoken the line. She was evasive. It makes no difference, she claimed. It means that God would forsake someone. And it has to come out. It didn't. And you and I can be grateful that the person or persons who compiled the Psalms into a collection didn't edit it out either. Because there are some people like this censor who are uncomfortable with believers that feel abandoned by God. And don't like that notion. In fact, one pastor makes this comment such folks would hold that God in the New Testament era never withdraws the radiance of his face, nor allows those who fear him to walk in darkness without any light. A routine reading good Christian biography would soon cure this naive view. For example, from the life of Charles Spurgeon, He wrote this in his biography. I believe it is a shallow experience that makes people always confident of what they are and where they are. For there are times of terrible trouble that make even the most confident child of God hardly know whether he is on his head or on his heels. This is another great reason to like Charles Spurgeon. These first five verses teach us that feelings of abandonment are part of the normal Christian experience. But he also teaches us to move to higher ground, to move to the highest ground, the character of God, because he's holy and cannot go back on his word, cannot break his promise to us, cannot abandon us. And because of this, David encourages us keep praying keep praying the only person who was ever truly abandoned by god was the the other person to whom these verses refer and that's jesus christ these uh, the new testament teaches that these verses ultimately refer to him and find their ultimate fulfillment in him And for a short time, Christ was abandoned by the Father as He took our sins upon Himself and became our sin bearer. Listen to how Isaiah describes Him bearing our sins. Uh, He says, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All weak like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When Christ bore our sin, took our sins upon himself, And absorbed the Father's wrath in our place. The Father for a time abandoned him on the cross. The Apostle Peter says it this way. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. He was abandoned briefly so that you and I would never be. So that you and I would never be. So David is desperate and cries out because he's feeling abandoned. That the Lord has left him. That the Lord's ignoring his prayers. But he goes on and he gives us another reason for this desperate cry. It's because he's being humiliated. He's being mocked and ridiculed and and degraded. Verse 6 says, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Uh, David first was the object of their verbal abuse. Scorn in verse 6 refers to uh, cutting insults, taunting. And he goes on to say he was despised. He was... Treated with contempt. He was looked down on. He says they made mouths at him and wagged their heads. Those are insulting gestures. And in this way they expressed their contempt for David. He was the object of verbal abuse. And then goes on to say that he was also the object of spiritual ridicule. Verse 8 He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. It's an amazing verse. Uh, Take note of how his enemies address the Lord. Uh, They use the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And this is an indication that his enemies too claimed to be part of God's covenant people. They're familiar with the depth of David's faith. And these hypocrites hurl it back in his face and sarcastically ask him, where's your God, David? After all, he delights in you. Why doesn't he come to help you? We saw the outcome of this verbal abuse and ridicule. It came at the very first phrase up in verse 6, yet I am a, but I am a worm and not a man. He was made to feel subhuman. Subhuman regarded as worthless. Nothing, nothing more than a worm like the one that ate Jonah's shade outside of Nineveh. This is his cry. He cries because he's being humiliated. But, but like that first reason, here comes the contrast. Note the way verse 9 begins. This is the second time he's used that word, yet. Yet. In the midst of his enemies' verbal abuse and ridicule, he again turns to higher ground. Again again turns to the Lord attempting to stir up his faith. Verse 9 says, Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. While these verses were literally true for Christ they would have been poetic exaggeration for David, what is referred to as hyperbole. And David is using this poetic device simply to express that as far back as he can remember, he was taught to trust the Lord. Even in childhood, the Lord had put him in situations where he was forced to trust him. It says, you made me trust you at my mother's breast In other words, he's saying to us from my earliest memories I've been trusting the Lord and I'm certainly not going to let these taunts stop me now. I will not cave in. I will cling as I have always done and keep my mouth shut. Notice that David does not trade words with his attackers at any point here. And Christ, again literally fulfilled these verses. Who was humiliated with the exact words of verse 8. The Pharisees, having memorized Psalm 22, are hurling verse 8 at him, not knowing that they were actually fulfilling verse 8. That's called spiritual blindness. Christ fulfilling these verses instructs us to do the same thing that David did. To keep your mouth closed. Listen to Peter explain this in chapter 2 of his first letter. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you've been called The second reason being that he was being humiliated. Christ of the Lord because he's being mocked and insulted. There's one more reason for this plea. Not only is he feeling abandoned and being humiliated, thirdly, we see that he's under attack. David's enemies had viciously attacked him and they were closing in for the kill. Again, we don't know when this took place in David's life, uh, but it was, a, it was a near-death experience. He, he describes this attack by his enemies uh, three ways. He says it's fierce. Look at verse 11 with me. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of bastion surround me. They opened wide their mouths at me like a a ravening and roaring lion describing his enemies like wild animals. He said they'd surrounded him and and cut off his escape. There there was no way out unless the Lord intervened. Death was imminent. Second, David continues to say not only was it fierce, it it was exhausting. He was depleted. Uh, in every way possible. Verse 14 tells us this, I'm poured out like water. Uh, sometimes we use the expression, I'm drained. It means we have no energy left. It's a, it's a reference to a, a vessel whose contents have been poured out. And and it goes on to describe the effect it has on his body. He says, and all my bones are out of joint. He feels uh, uncoordinated and and awkward, and further he's almost lost the will to fight as verse fourteen concludes he said, "My heart is like wax it's melted within my breast i'm not sure how I can go on my my courage is melting away And then he concludes, all my vitality and energy has dried up in verse fifteen. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, like a cracked piece of red pottery. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. His life juices have, have gone. And he is at the end of himself. And third, David concludes that this attack was fierce, exhausting, and finally it was Deadly. Verse 16 says, For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. David's attackers were like a pack of wild dogs. These are not domesticated animals like dogs in our culture. Uh, They were something along the lines of a jackal. They were scavengers. They were hated. And I know maybe you find it hard to believe that people in the Bible didn't like dogs. But they hated them. And and David appeared to them as good as dead because they're circling him like the way vultures do in North Georgia. They They were nipping, biting in his hands and feet in the process of this. And because it seemed that he was sure to die, they begin dividing up his possessions. In verse 17, I can count all my bones, meaning he's emaciated. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. This is his cry. Now for the third time, comes the contrast. And notice verse 19 and the way it begins. But you, O Lord. Again, he's running for higher ground. Turning to the Lord for help during this deadly attack with, with his strength nearly depleted. He, he cries out yet another time for rescue from the Lord. Verse 19 says, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. In a very graphic way here, uh, in a very poetic way, David is describing the intensity of his enemy's attack. His enemy's attack, an attack that very nearly killed him. Christ, on the other hand, fulfilled these descriptions literally. And these verses find their fulfillment, their greater fulfillment in Him. He was literally poured out like water as the guard's spear pierced His side and the pericardium around His heart. John 19.34 His bones would have been jarred out of place as as He was nailed to the cross and then lifted up... uh, vertically and the cross was dropped into the hole that held it upright dislocating many of his joints we know that Christ's mouth had gone dry from john 19:28 we know his hands and feet were pierced with roman spikes we know that the roman guards cast lots for his clothing john 19:23 and of course that well-known a cry from the very beginning where he appropriates this song for himself as as the righteous sufferer my god my god why have you forsaken me as Christ cries out to the father for rescue So while these words were true for David in a poetic sense these words are literally true for Great David's greater son, Jesus Christ. This is the plea for rescue that we see in the first half of Psalm 22. And David makes this plea for three reasons because he's feeling abandoned, because he's being humiliated, and because he was under attack. And experiencing the same thing, Christ cries out to the Father in the same way for rescue from death. But look down in the Word and look at verse 21 with me because everything changes in verse 21. This is one of those psalms where the tone of the writer suddenly shifts because David is going to move from the plea for rescue to the praise for rescue. Uh, Verse 21, Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild ox. Uh, The the tone has shifted now. And, And the verb is different Look at the term, you've rescued me. It's different from what's come before it. In verse 19, David was crying, do not be far off. And then in verse 20, deliver my soul. And verse 21, save me from the mouth of the lion. These are, these are imperatives. As were many verbs before this, cries for help. But, but in verse 21, David switches from an imperative to a verb tense that describes completed action. You have rescued me. Or as the note in your Bible says, You have answered me. What's happened? David's circumstances have changed. His prayer has been answered. The Lord's delivered him. In Jesus' situation, the resurrection has taken place. The Father's delivered Christ from death by raising Him from the grave. You have answered. And now, the writer vows to praise the Lord before three different groups of people. First, we hear David vowing to praise the Lord before the people of God. Look at verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. He goes on to calling the people of God to two things. In in verse 22, He calls them to praise. Uh, I will uh, tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. Verse 23, You who fear the Lord, praise Him. Oh, you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All oh, you offspring of Israel. He's answered my prayer. You praise him with me. And then, verse 24, he explains to them why he's praising the Lord. And there are two more examples of understatement. For for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. It's not just that the Lord didn't despise David, that he didn't look down on him, that he didn't treat him with contempt. He deeply valued David and he gloriously rescued him. Uh, David's indicating uh, quite the opposite. He didn't just not despise me. He valued me and delivered me. What a glorious verse for you and me and your pack of dogs. And you think that God must really hate me for this to happen. Look at what it says. He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Your struggles haven't made him turn away in disgust. Your, the hounds that are, round, are hounding you haven't, haven't made him throw up his hands in, in dismay. Oh, this is too big for me. Well, quite the contrary. He values you extremely and, and has delivered, will deliver. And then the next phrase, it's the same way. He's not hidden His face f- from Him. Uh, to, to shine your face on someone was to be gracious to Him. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and Give you peace, as we say in uh, Aaron's uh, benediction, and from Numbers six, He's not hidden His face from him, and of course, understatement. He means quite the opposite. Oh, God has been extraordinarily generous. He's He's poured out His grace upon me by answering my prayer. David calls the people to worship here. Uh, He calls them to praise. But then he goes on and he calls them to courage. He calls them, oh, be courageous. Don't stop fighting. Their courage would come as, as they participated in his peace offering. Look at verse 25 with me. From you comes my praise, the Lord, that is. From the Lord comes my praise because He's answered my prayer. Uh, My vows I will perform before those who fear Him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him shall praise the Lord. This is described in Leviticus chapter 7, where David vows to make a peace offering. This is where an animal would be sacrificed while David stood by the altar and declared... What God had done. And then following the sacrifice, His family, His servants, the Levites serving at the temple there, and any needy would have been invited to feast on that sacrificed animal. They would literally taste the Lord's goodness to David. And they would be encouraged and then David offers further encouragement and at the end of verse 26. Look at these words. May your hearts live forever. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. My heart nearly melted. I, I nearly lost my courage. May your hearts live forever. Keep fighting. When you're surrounded by dogs, keep fighting. And above all, keep on praying for the Lord answers prayer you that hear my voice he shouted in the temple when you're surrounded by dogs keep on fighting and above all keep on praying for the Lord answers prayer you need to hear it today when you're surrounded by dogs keep fighting and above all keep on praying for the Lord answers prayer So David vows to to praise the Lord in front of the people of God. This is what he did. You're not going to believe it. Second, he vows to praise the Lord to all the nations. To tell the nations how the Lord answers prayer and delivers His people. Look at verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and He rules over the nations. Oh, when the people of the world hear what God had done for David, how the Lord heard His cry and delivered Him, and how the Lord does this for all His saints, they will turn to the Lord in faith, trust in Him, and bow before Him. And further, David says that this will include all kinds of people The healthy and the dying, as he says in verse 29, All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Through David, then, people all over the world would hear how the Lord answers his people's prayers and delivers them. And through Jesus Christ all kinds of people from all over the world will hear the good news of His payment for sin on the cross, how He died to save them from the wrath of God, and they will turn to Him in repentance and faith, trusting in His atoning death on the cross. This, of course, took place when Jesus charged His disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. David vowed to praise the Lord before all nations. And finally, he vows to praise the Lord to future generations. Those who aren't even born will hear that God is righteous and delivers his people. Look at verse 30. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn that He has done it. Through David, people yet to come will read Psalm 22. And hear that God is a righteous God who doesn't abandon His people who call on Him for deliverance. Through Christ. Generations to come will hear that a righteous God who demands payment for sin gave up His own Son to be the payment for that sin. And everyone who cries out to Him for rescue will be delivered from eternal death. And here we are! Here we are! You're the future generation! David declares that his praise... Will be told to future generations. This is his praise for rescue. In this second half, the desperate cry shifts to a declaration for the Lord's deliverance. And and when David's great son literally fulfilled these words, he too declared how the Father delivered people from sin and death. He declared the good news of his payment for sin to God's people, to all nations into future generations. So what should you and I do when we're surrounded by dogs? When we feel cut off, surrounded with no avenue of escape? Well, the answer we've seen in Psalm 23, keep praying. When you feel surrounded by dogs, keep praying because the Lord delivers His people from sin. When you feel cut off with no way out, keep praying because the Lord delivers his people from death. When you're surrounded by dogs, keep on fighting. And above all, keep on praying because the Lord answers prayer. Now if you didn't get it, that's the main thrust of this message. I'll say it once again. I don't have it on a slide. When you're surrounded by dogs, keep on fighting and above all, keep on praying because the Lord answers prayer. We're so grateful, Father. And Lord Jesus, we're so profoundly thankful that you are holy and you cannot break your promises. You have demonstrated through Israel's history, throughout the New Testament, that you are a faithful God who helps His people, delivers them from sin, and and worst of all, the death of being eternally separated. Thank you, Jesus, for, for bearing our sin and for enduring abandonment by the Father as you were our sin bearer on that afternoon. thank you that through faith in you we can have eternal life and access your father and come before his throne I want to pray for those in the room who feel as if they're under attack and surrounded growing hopeless becoming desperate because they feel cut off, there's no way out. Perhaps they're a caregiver of uh, an ailing patient. Perhaps their own sickness has led them to this uh, encircling. Perhaps they're beset by sin on every single side. And they just can't get out. Father, I pray that you would graciously give them more grace to enable them to fight on. And Lord, strengthen them to at least pray what your son prayed that afternoon. That they might cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, deliver them from the dogs. And this I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.